Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. continue looking at the um, letter to the Galatians. Uh, before we, we get into that, I just want to congratulate you on sticking with it this far. Um, this, this is not an easy letter to comprehend in its depths. Um, uh, like a lot of scripture, whatever you read, you're going to get something out of it because God is just that good. And uh, whatever you, you discover there, the Holy Spirit interprets and plants in your heart and molds it and shapes it. Uh, for his purposes and glory. So um, there, there's that level. But the, the, the book of Galatians uh, really works your mind uh, to try to wrap around what is the authentic gospel. And that's what we've been looking at. Uh, we, we started with the basic problem that uh, Paul was, was uh, confronting, uh, where um, the Galatian Christians, they had come to receive Christ. They had accepted him as Lord and Savior, and they thought that was that was fine, but then some other teachers came in and said, Paul didn't give you the whole story. Not only do you need Christ, but you also need the law. You need the tradition and the culture and the religion of Israel. Uh, in other words, it's not just enough to believe in Jesus, but you also must keep and do the things that God commands in the law. Now, this has a certain amount of appeal to it. I mean, there's a, there's a certain logic to that that appeals to the human nature side of us that wants to take pride in what we do. And so when someone comes to us and says, well, here's what you can do to augment or increase or uh, secure your salvation, there's a little bit of us that says, yeah, I can do that, and we're, and we're, we're sort of proud of that. And there's, a, there's something about human nature that just wants to incorporate rules and regulations and, and religious practices into uh, our, our faith posture with God. And so uh, we understand why the Galatians were tempted to listen to these false teachers who had come in. But as the teachers came in, they said, you must become a Jew. That means keeping the law. That means observing the Sabbath laws. That means observing the dietary laws. That means observing the circumcision laws. That means being uh, a part of the Jewish uh, culture and tradition. In other words, you, you must identify with us first before you can be completely acceptable to God. Then uh, the argument, as we, we sort of glean it from uh, what Paul writes in Galatians, the false teachers then came and said, and that means you need to be a child of Abraham before you can be a child of God. In other words, you have to come in with us through Abraham. We're children of Abraham by uh, descent, by our race, uh, it's a matter of genetics with us, but you need to come in as a matter of, of becoming a convert, and therefore you need to be a child of Abraham first. After all, God started this whole thing when he called Abraham uh, out of the earth uh, of uh, the Chaldees, 
and said, I'm going to bless the whole world, all the nations of the earth. I'm going to bless them through you. And so God was working through Abraham. You need to be a child of Abraham. This makes sense so far. And Paul's basic response is, first, there's only one gospel. I gave it to you. Anybody who adds it, distorts it, or, or somehow subtracts from it any, in any way, that is not the gospel at all. In fact, it is so important that we keep the gospel and not add things to it that when Peter was persuaded to go along with this kind of thinking, child of Abraham before you can be child of God uh, kind of thing, I confronted him. You remember that in chapter 2. And uh, Paul concluded that chapter. He says, look, I've been crucified with Christ. That's the sum total of it. I've been crucified with Christ. I live in the life I live. I, uh, I, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then we get into chapter 3. Now, chapter 3 is a very difficult chapter. This is where in your seminary class on Galatians, your grade point average starts to go down, okay? Uh, because you're trying to explain to the professor, you know, all these ins and outs of, of Abraham promise and, and uh, the guardian and the, and the schoolmaster and the law. And, and, and if you think that's tough, wait till you get to chapter 4. Um, then, then you really start to get hung up on it. So, uh, but Paul in chapter 3, he says, look, to be a child of Abraham is a matter of promise, not law. It's a matter of, of promise. God promised Abraham. Abraham didn't do a thing. God promised to bless the nations through Abraham. That's how God works. Child of Abraham means you're a child of promise. The promise to Abraham was promise of the Messiah, promise of Christ. And so if you're in Christ, you're in Abraham, you're a child of Abraham, therefore a child of God. Uh, Q-E-D, you know, little three dots and end of argument there. So you got that. You got that. Yes, Debbie got that. So I congratulate you uh, for sort of sticking uh, with the, the motion of the argument and all that because in, in some ways it, it's, um, it, it's a very challenging sort of way to look at the gospel. Now, as we come to the end of chapter 3 this morning, uh, we're going to be reviewing these same sort of lines of thought. We're still looking at the authentic gospel. We're still um, uh, responding to those who would add law to the gospel. But one of the things I want you to do today, besides just working your mind, and it'll, it'll be a little bit of a stretch and, um, you know, uh, a little bit of a challenge. But the other thing I want you to do this morning is I want you to just have fun in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to delight in the gospel of Christ. I already have studied the scripture, but this morning in our worship service, I hope that as we were singing, you know, this delight in what God has done for us just, just became real in your hearts as the choir told us about the love of God that comes to us as even though we're sinners and there's not one of us worthy. God so loved us, he came and, and died for us. Um, and and the, uh, the, the second anthem, there's, there's a line in there that says, in his sacrifice we have hope again. Now you didn't see me over there, but in my head I was doing the fist pump and roundhouse kick thing. <laughs> you know, that is just a delight to know that in the sacrifice of Christ we have hope again. And of course, because of the book of Galatians, I know it's not the sacrifice of Christ 
if you keep the law, then you have hope. And it's not the sacrifice of Christ. If you are a religious person, then you have hope. It's not the sacrifice of Christ. And if you are good enough to earn the favor of God, you have hope. And it's not if, you know, because of the sacrifice, but you have to add to that the, the right mentality and surround yourself with positivity, not negativity, you know, that kind of thing. No, because of the sacrifice of Christ, we have hope. And I just delight in that. I delight in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you one reason I delight in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus has set me free from the law. It has set me free from the law. I grew up in church. Like a lot of people who grow up in church, I hear a lot of do's and don'ts. Because the, the, the Scripture has a lot of do's and don'ts in it. I mean, the Scripture tells us that some things are sin and some things are pleasing to God. The Scripture tells us that there are certain um, kinds of attitudes that are not pleasing to God. And so there's a certain amount of things in Scripture that says, don't do that. And as a kid growing up in church, you hear the don't do that part and you don't hear that because Jesus Christ died for your sins and you want to glorify the Father by reflecting his holiness and righteousness. Don't do that. Do this. Don't be ungodly. Be godly. Don't, uh, you know, violate the holiness of God. Live out the holiness of God. Let sanctification, you know, you don't hear that as a kid. All you hear is don't do that. So you grow up as a young adult. You grow up as a young adult and all that's floating around in your head is don't do that. And as a kid or as a young adult, you get into college, and one of the things that's part of the college experience is all the don't do that, you start doing. And you know you shouldn't be doing that, and you have this guilt. And then what comes on you is this sense of God can't use me. In fact, God can't love me. In fact, God is through with me. And there's nothing left for me. That's what you hear when law is in your head. And you think God is about law. And then one day God opens up the scripture and he reveals it to you. And the Holy Spirit says, look, I want you to be holy. But I know you can't do it. So I'm going to do it in you. I know you can't keep the commandments. So I'm going to keep them in you. I know that you are not able to be righteous, so I'm going to put the righteousness of Christ in you. I know that you can't measure up to the, the, the supreme perfection of the character and nature of God, so I'm going to put Christ in you. I'm going to work in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the gospel comes alive in you, and you realize the gospel is not the message of what I can do to reach God. The gospel is the message of what God has done to reach down to me. And the moment you realize that and start to live that out, you start to get all giddy inside and you start to delight in the gospel because you are free from the law, oh, happy condition. That hymn is not in the hymnal anymore, but maybe it ought to be. John, work on that. Put it to guitar and drums. Everybody will think you wrote it or something. But we are set free from legalistic religion. Look at verse 24, Galatians 3, 24. Have your text in front of you. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. He said there, there was a role for the law. It was, it was to be our guardian. That's a word that in some translations is, 
is uh, translated as schoolmaster. It was a word that was used uh, to refer to the uh, servant in the household who would take the children from the house to the school door. They'd go into school and then would come and pick them up from school and bring them back home again. It was sort of like the, the first before and after care person. And so this law was our guardian. This law was the servant who brought us to learn the truth, to the point of learning the truth. That's what the law is designed to do. The law is designed to show us our need for Christ and the glory of God in forgiving our sins. The law is a gift of God's grace to us so that we might not uh, be shackled to our sins so that we might understand what it is so that it might be in stark relief and we might see it within ourselves and be brought to the point of confession of Christ. So the law is, is designed to lead us to Christ. So that's what Paul says. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. See, the, the law brings us to the point where we believe. The law doesn't bring us to a point where we perform, then God loves us, and then righteousness comes. The law brings us to the point of conviction and confession, and then by faith, just accepting the promises of God, the righteousness of Christ is poured into our lives. So that's the actual function of the law. So Paul says the law was our guardian, verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Folks, if you love Jesus, you want to be righteous. If you, want to, if, if you love Jesus, you want to be like him. If you have any understanding at all of the magnitude of what Christ did on the cross for us, you want to respond with a life of thanksgiving and praise and adoration and worship. If, if you know Jesus, you, you just want to be like him. The Holy Spirit works in your, in your life and gives you a desire to be like him. But the one thing that happens when you come to Christ by faith is you are set free from the requirements of religion and the requirements of the law. Oh, how often we add to the gospel. We add to the gospel. You know, and we do it in subtle ways. Sometimes we don't even recognize it. You know, we, we, we communicate this thing that, you know, if you're going to be saved, you must receive Jesus and join my political party. If you're going to be saved, you must believe in Jesus and hold my opinions about art and culture, for example. You know, if, if you're going to be saved, you, you have to come to Jesus, but you also have to be patriotic and salute the flag. Folks, I am very much in favor of uh, patriotism. And I can remember as a kid uh, walking past the flagpole at the uh, NATO base in Keflavik, Iceland. You haven't seen the American flag until you've seen it against the bright blue uh, Icelandic sky and, and just the, the wind whipping like crazy and the thing standing straight out. I can remember the pride of seeing that. I haven't lost it yet. But folks, we're not saved by being Americans. And you're not saved by saluting the flag. And you're not saved by being some super patriot. You're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. That's it. You're not saved by having the right cultural opinions. You're not saved by liking my music. I, I, I love the old hymns. I like the old hymns. I, a lot of them I have memorized as long as Debbie's singing next to me and she sort of gives me a hint on the words. 
But when I sing, I, I have the bass lines memorized. Not that I can sing the bass line anymore, but I, 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 you know, that's, that's what I go for. So I, I, it's not just that I like the hymns, I know the words, and I sing the bass lines, and, and they just, they, they, they're so meaningful and deep for me. But look, I understand where these came from. They came from the culture of their day. The old hymns came from the culture of the day. You ever listen to some of the old hymns from the 1800s? Have you ever listened to them? Coming again, papa, um, papa, come, papa, in again, papa, um, papa, me, da, da, da. You know, get out the roller skates. Now, look, I'm not making fun of the hymn. What I'm telling you is, it was the music of the day. And the gospel isn't believe in Jesus Christ, but don't you dare have drums and guitars. And the gospel isn't believe in Jesus Christ, but don't you dare have a pipe organ and hymns. The gospel is believe in Jesus Christ. And whatever music you raise up, raise it up to the glory of God. That's where we are. That's where we're Okay, I digress. So I, I delight in the gospel because it has set me free from legalism and legalistic religion. And I, 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 I don't have to bear the burden and the guilt that that brings. Um, there's too many of us floating around and we sing Amazing Grace and then we go home and think that God doesn't love us because we haven't measured up yet. It's amazing grace to get you started. It's amazing grace to get you through. It's amazing grace to get you through the gates. And when we've been there 10,000 years, we're still going to be singing about the amazing grace of God. It is grace from the start to the finish and every step in between. It's the amazing grace of God. It is not law. So the law was our guardian. It was a schoolmaster bringing us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Verse 26. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. I delight in the gospel of Jesus Christ because it makes me a child of God. Text here is translated literally, sons of God, uh, as in many legal documents, the masculine includes the feminine. We are children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. That was the whole problem. The false teachers were coming in and saying, you know, you're not a child of God yet. You have to go through this child of Abraham first. And the whole point of, of Paul's logic, if you will, and the development of the argument is God dealt with Abraham by, by, by promise, Abraham believed. He had faith. That was counted to him as righteousness. The promise was the promise of Christ. If you're in Christ, then you are a true child of Abraham. Automatically, then, you are a child of God. And so the gospel makes us children, sons, and daughters of God. You, in fact, if you're going to underline or, or if you're going to highlight verses in Galatians, you know, highlight the really good verses in Galatians, first, highlight the whole letter. Right? <laughs> And then also underline this verse. This is essentially the gospel boiled down to one verse. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Let's start in the middle. Sons of God, children of God. This is why you were created. Now, when you got up this morning, you said, I wonder what I'll do with my life. This is what you are to do with your life. To be a child of God and live for the glory of God. That's why you were created. That's why you're here. You know, free time you say I wonder what I'll do live for the glory of God if you ever have a, a, a two-week vacation you say what do you want to do on our vacation let's live our vacation for the glory of God you know 
That's why you're here. So when it says we are, we are uh, uh, you know, sons of God, that says you are fulfilling your purpose in creation. This is why God designed you. And that's what the gospel brings you. It brings you to be a child of God. This is the authentic gospel to be identified, defined by, shaped by the character and the nature of God who created us, to be his children. Okay, so that, that's the middle of it. That, that's the aiming point, to be a, a, a child of God, sons of God. It says, in Christ Jesus, you're a child of God. It doesn't say, in Christ Jesus and the Baptist church, you're a child of God. It doesn't say, in Christ Jesus and the Christian religion, you're a child of God. It says, in Christ Jesus, you're a child of God. See, you become a child of God by the very work and power of Christ. A moment ago, we talked about in his sacrifice, you have hope again. In his sacrifice, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Jesus shed his blood that your sins would be cleansed and taken away. The reason Jesus died was to glorify the Father and to do so by bringing to the Father's throne many brothers and sisters and to do so by laying down his life in our place, dying the death that we deserve. That's why it's in Christ Jesus that we are the children of God. It's by his person, by his power, it's by his presence. It's a very personal Thing. We're not saved by the philosophy of Jesus. You know, it's not like you go back and you, and you read the Gospels and you pull out a few uh, metaphysical principles that you can apply to your life and we are saved by following the philosophy of Jesus. We're not uh, saved by following the teachings or the ethics of Jesus. You know, you go and you see what he said, do and don't do, and you do that. We're not saved by following the example of Jesus, even though imitatio Christi is so important in Christian tradition, but that does not save us. You know, just to try to be like Jesus, that doesn't save you. We are saved by the person of Jesus Christ and his shed blood for us. There's no other way. That's the gospel so far. In Christ, you become a child of God. In the person of Jesus, in a personal relationship with Christ, you are fulfilled in your destiny, why God has created you. You are brought uh, uh, into new life for his glory. The very end of that verse, in verse 26, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Through faith. Not through a checklist, not through merit badges, not through, uh, you know, a a, a list of promotions and gradations. It is through faith. Simply accepting the promises of God in Christ. Surely it can't be that easy. Yes, it can. And it is. It is simply a matter of saying, Lord Jesus, I I understand you died for my sins. I'm a sinner deserving of wrath, but come into my heart. Be Savior, be Lord of my life. And as the Holy Spirit works that work of regeneration within you, you come to Christ and you confess him as Lord. And it's by faith. There's the gospel. There's the authentic gospel. In Christ, we are children of God by faith. That, that's it. So I, I delight in this gospel. I delight in this gospel because it makes me a child of God, something I could never do, something I could never uh, contribute 
to doing. It is entirely God's work for me in Christ. So I delight in the gospel, this, this wonderful gospel. Thirdly, uh, looking at verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, the, the reason Paul says that right there, in the previous verse he said, you are all sons of God. Did you see that word all? Now, if you're looking at your text, you see it there. That word all. Very important word. That's the exact word that Paul's trying to get at. See, the, the false teachers came in and said, well, you're in you know, in, in the, the family of God, you're a child of God if you have accepted the Torah. There's some of you, you're Christians, fine, but you haven't accepted the Torah, so you're not there yet. So some of you have been baptized, but you were Jews first, so now you're okay. And there's other of you, you ha you've been baptized, but you weren't Jews, you're not okay. You, you've got to come. Paul says, no, if you were baptized, you are all sons of God. All of you are sons of God. And this is the demonstration of it in verse 27. As many of you as were baptized, every one of you who was baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Just very quickly on baptism. Baptism isn't a magical act that saves us. It's not as though the, 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 the splashing around in the jacuzzi is going to save you. Right? Like I say, otherwise we'd stand on the corner, we'd, we'd get a fire hose, and we'd just hose people down as they went by. There's one church in D.C. that does that, but it's not very effective. <laughs> Baptism is the emblem of salvation as it represents the change worked in us by the power of the Holy Spirit appropriated by faith. Here, here's the, the, the way Paul describes it in, in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Um, he, he says, look, when we're baptized, we are baptized with Jesus into death. We are baptized into the death of Christ. And a lot of us think that baptism represents, oh, I, I get in the water and I die to my sins and I raise up to walk a better life and be a better person. No, the baptism points to Jesus. Baptism says Jesus died for our sins. And when we go under the water, that is a declaration that our uh, life is hidden in Christ. And as Jesus died for my sins, I die in him. See, it's about Jesus. You see a pattern developing here? It's all about Jesus. So when we are put under the water, that's the picture of, of, of Jesus dying for our sins. We come up out of the water. It's not because, hey, I'm such a great guy, I'm going to be, be living a new life. It is that Jesus was raised from the dead. See, that baptism declares Jesus died for sins and was raised on our behalf. And so when we are baptized in faith, that faith comes first. When we are baptized, we are declaring that my sins put to death because of Jesus. My life is now the power, uh, is in the power of his resurrection. That's what Paul means when he says, you've put on Christ. You've put on Jesus. And so now you are in him. That's what he's getting at. He says, and everyone who's baptized, that is everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, that which baptism represents, he says, if you're baptized, you've put on Christ. And that's all that matters. I delight in this gospel because it gives us this new life in Christ. Absolutely in Christ. Um, see, the, the, the false teachers, again, kept saying, you've got to do something else. Paul keeps saying, no, Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all. Jesus accomplished it all. There's not something else to do. 
Jesus has done it all. So if you've been baptized, that is, if you've come to that saving faith of which baptism is the declaration, then you have put on Christ. He says, and whoever does it has put on Christ. Uh, then we move to the next part. And here's a delight. It says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. This is not like there's one baptism for Jews, another baptism for Gentiles, for Greeks. So there's not Jew or Greek, there's neither slave nor free. It's not as though there are different kinds of salvation for the different economic classes or the different ways that we divide people and pit them against each other. He says it's not like there's different ways of being saved. There's only one baptism. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. The scripture tells us that there are differences of roles in the family. Folks, there is a difference. I leave that to your imagination. But you are all one in Christ Jesus. One salvation in Christ Jesus. And the reason I delight in the gospel is that it is salvation for all who come to him in faith. Every last one. You remember the temple in Jerusalem during the days of Christ? You will in a moment. Uh, it was a magnificent structure on, the, on the, a, a raised platform uh, that had been built up, uh, a level area. And the, 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 um, the temple building, magnificent structure, uh, was, was set upon that. But then on the outside of it, was, first of all, there's you know, just sort of an open plaza-type area. And there was part of that plaza that anybody could walk on. If you were a Jew, if you were a Gentile, whatever you were, you, you could walk in that area. It was called the Court of the Gentiles because the Gentiles, at least, were admitted to that. And uh, uh, you, you could just uh, go all over it. But there was a fence then that divided off this Court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple area. And that fence had a sign on it. At every gate, it had a sign on it. And it said, if you're a Gentile and you enter into this next court area, we're going to kill you. It said it a little better than that. But basically, the sign was, you deserve to die. And we're going to make sure it happens. If you're a Gentile and you cross this gate, this wall, this dividing line between us. But if you're a Jew, that was fine. You could walk in and you could get closer to the temple. But then you came to another barrier. Another barrier. And... The women, even a Jewish woman, all the women had to stop at that barrier. And only the men could keep going. And that was called the court of the women, because women could get in there. And the next one was called the court of Israel. Why they didn't think women were Israel, I don't know. But it, just the Jewish men could go there. But they could get closer to the temple. But the men could go only so far, because then there was another barrier. And the men couldn't cross over that unless they were priests. And they could get into the next court, which was, you guessed it, called the court of the priests. And if you had been born into the priestly class, you, you, you were there and you could offer the sacrifice. So you're, you're in the court of the priests. You're a little bit closer to the temple. But there's another barrier. And that's the door of the temple building itself. And you can't go in there, even if you're a priest, unless your name is chosen that day. Only one person every day could go into the next room inside the, the, the temple building. That was called the holy place. And you would go in and you'd offer the sacrifices for the people. That's where Zechariah was when the angel announced the birth of John the Baptist. But just one guy could get in there. 
But there was yet another barrier, a massive curtain, a massive veil, massive curtain. They closed off the holy place from the next room. And that was called the Holy of Holies, which is a Hebrew way of saying the most holy place possible. And nobody could go in that room, except the high priest. And he could go in only once a year to bring in the blood of the Day of Atonement. And then he had to hightail it out of there. That room was closed off. That was the most holy place. So you can see that it, it, as, a, as a, a, a Jew of the first century, you're, you're looking at the temple that, that, that stands for and signifies the presence of God in the midst of his people. You say, I can't get there. There's a wall here. There's another wall, another wall, another wall, another wall. And by the time we get to the curtain, the veil, nobody can get through that curtain. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, that curtain was ripped in two from top to bottom. And the way into the Holy of Holies was opened up for all of us. Amen. You know, Gentiles now, we're, I'm a Gentile. Most of you are Gentiles. We walk into the very presence of God. We walk into the Holy of Holies. We walk into the presence of God. There we see the Father. And we're there because of the blood of the Son. If you're rich, you walk into the very presence of God because of the blood of the Son. If you're poor, you walk into the presence of God because of the blood of the Son. If you're a man, you walk in because of the blood. If you're a woman, you walk in because of the blood. If you're smart, if you're dumb, if you're up, you're down. Whatever your race, we walk into the very presence of the Father by the blood of Jesus Christ. And at no point along the way does an angel stop us and say, I've got a little checklist here, and you failed. Because your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Paul, when we walk in and they say, why are you here? We just point to the Son. I'm with him. I'm with him. And the, and the doors open up. And the way opens up. And we walk into the very presence of God. This is for all who believe. All who believe. This is why I delight in the gospel. This is why I want you to spend the next week just sort of giggling to yourself. You know, the people will come up and say, why are you laughing to yourself? Oh, I just feel great. Why? I'm taking delight in the grace of God shown to me in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is just a, to delight in what God has done for us in Christ. That's, these are the reasons why I delight in Christ. Let me give you the last verse. This, this, this is sort of the summary verse for it all. If you are Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring. If you are Christ's, you are a child of Abraham. You are a child of God. If you are in Christ. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, and you are heirs according to the promise you inherit the blessings promised to Abraham, and you inherit them by faith. And that's why we delight in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's grace appropriated by faith. Folks, don't let anybody ever rob you of the joy that is to be yours in Christ. Don't ever let anybody lay on top of you the legalism and the law 
and religion and all these other things. Don't let anybody distort this gospel and tell you it's about uh, mental attitude and, and, you know, cutesy phrases and things. Delight in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Delight in it. And when the adversary comes and says, you know, uh, you didn't do enough, and that's why God doesn't love you right now, and you didn't do enough, and that's why things aren't working out. You didn't do enough. Folks, God's love is eternal and everlasting. And he loves us because he loves the Son, and he has placed us in his Son. I delight in the gospel, don't you? My prayer is that if you don't know that delight, if you don't know the joy of salvation in Christ, my prayer is that right now you'll just yield to the work of the Holy Spirit, come to the cross, let Jesus be Lord and Savior of your life, and give God the glory. Let's pray together. Father, how marvelous you are in your grace, how wonderful you are in your mercy. And I just ask that as we have been looking at your word and looking at the wonder and the delight of the gospel, that it would be for us this coming week a motivating force, a controlling, defining force. Father, that we would have such delight in the gospel that we would worship and praise and adore you every moment of every day. Father, let your Holy Spirit work in our midst, accomplish that which is well-pleasing in your sight. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh